table. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, We're doing the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 9. And we are going to be reading this all together. Uh, so this is something we've been doing for through the Beatitudes, at least. Uh, I'm going to be reading this all together, um, and we try to read it three times over because we're only doing one verse. Um, so here we go. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. One more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. God, we ask that you would uh, work mightily this morning. Uh, may, may, your, may your word come to life, uh, that this would not just be an old, dry, dusty book uh, in our eyes or in reality. Uh, Lord, that this would be something that is full and, and brimming with life. Uh, applicable as much as it was when it was written to today. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be the one speaking. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 1989, tensions between the people of China and their government were boiling, boiling over as, as months and months of protests and, and hunger strikes were leading up to what would soon be a violent conclusion to where on June 4th, 1989, China declares martial law and demands everyone leave the square where everyone was gathering to protest. And when the protesters chose to not leave, the government just opened, openly sprayed them down with bullets as machine guns took out hundreds and hundreds of lives. One day later, on June 5th, 1989, a, year, a day after this massacre, knowing what their government is capable of, they have the... the the square cleared and tanks are rolling through the square and you have one of these moments that is probably the most iconic image in in all of history where one man who is an unknown man to this day, we don't know who he was, he's referred to now as Tank Man because he goes and he steps in front of the column and line of tanks Look at this image up here. Think of the courage that takes to play a game of chicken with tanks. The tanks know they can completely obliterate this man, but are shocked by this act of peace and so they try to go around him and he steps in front of them I would suggest to you that this is the kingdom of God on display 
And as we were going through our, our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and as we're coming to the end of the Beatitudes, we just read about blessed are the peacemakers. I would say this is the kingdom of God on display for us. And this is a peacemaker. And so the, the title of my sermon here today, The Scope and the Power of Nonviolent Resistance. The Scope and the Power of Nonviolent Resistance. And that's actually not just the title, it's also the outline of how we're going to talk about this here. So we're going to talk about the scope of nonviolent resistance and the power of nonviolent resistance. And under scope, I just want to break down those words. What does it mean to be nonviolent? Hmm. Well... Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, just if you're just now joining us uh, in this Beatitude series, it's not a word you usually use. Um, blessed, happy are you, uh, lucky are you if you are a peacemaker. And so what is a peacemaker? And I would argue at the bare minimum to be a peacemaker, at the bare minimum means we can't be a war maker. We can't be a war mongerer. And you say, well, why are you going that direction? I thought we were going to go in a completely different direction, Slim. Um, I, I get it. When we hear the word peace, uh, you and I think like, I just need some peace and quiet. I just need some peace and quiet. I just need to go sit by like uh, a, a tranquil river, uh, drinking my coffee and have some inner zen. And I would love that too, <laughs> right? But that's not how the, the Bible refers to peace. The Bible, when it talks about peace, is, is peace or shalom uh, as referring to the end of conflict, the end of war. It's the end of this destruction. And so what I want, want us to do in thinking about this passage here um, is to be thinking about this in this way. Um, the, the end of peace or shalom uh, or, or the end of war brings, brings about peace and shalom. And I want us to think about this in the, the ways that we talk about discipleship, in the personal, communal, and cosmic way. Uh, because we think discipleship is personal, communal, and cosmic. Now, you could say, okay, what type of war is going on personally? Like the inner war of do I stay or do I go? You know, that's not the war we're thinking about. I think that's probably the easiest one for us as Christians to answer. What is the the end of the war there, and I can just say Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10. Or, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Um, now, some of us, I know, we love to think of ourselves as the hero of our own story. I mean, the, the stories we tell ourselves, like, I'm the good guy. I'm the, uh, I'm the hero or the heroine in the story. And we would never think of ourselves as the villain of the story. Like the story of David and Goliath, I'm so Goliath. Or I'm a, <laughs> true, <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to make. We like to think of ourselves as David, trying to take down our Goliaths, right? But what if we're Goliath? What if we're actually the enemy? And Romans tells us, for while we were enemies with God, and when Christ comes on this rescue mission, it's not to rescue us from an enemy, it's to rescue us from ourselves, right? It, it is declaring war on this, and it is making peace with us, so that we are no longer at odds with our Creator. And He brings us, and He reconciles all things, all things. He, he rights every wrong, so that there is actually true shalom and peace with our Creator, and so personally, that seems to be the easiest for us to understand. Um, so personally, 
the end of war, um, or peacemaking means that. But communally, what does that mean? Well, if peacemaker means at the bare minimum that we cannot be war makers, I would say that this means we cannot be war makers with our relationships. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all love to war in this, re- in this regard. <laughs> some of us don't feel alive <laughs> unless we stir the pot <laughs> and create some type of beef with one another. It's, some of y'all, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of us know this. Like, there's people talking about like, oh, they chose violence when they woke up this morning. Um, and I would say some of us, we choose violence every day when we wake up every morning. Uh, like, we don't feel like we have life in us unless we are at war. And I, I joke about this, but I want you to see how serious God is about this. First uh, Timothy 6.4 says, these types of people have an unhealthy craving for controversy. And so to be a peacemaker means... We can't have a craving for controversy, as hard as that might be to hear. Romans 12, 18 says, So as far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. And some of us feel like that's a direct shot at us. Like, oh, what? I have to actually live peaceably? Like, what? And, and why? Paul warns us in Titus 3.10. He says, As for the person who stirs up division after warning them once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Whew. That seems extreme. That seems extreme. Why is, that, why is Paul that serious about this? Well, I think one reason is because it's in direct opposition to being a peacemaker. Because if you are constantly stirring up stuff between you and someone else, you are not trying to actively get peace here. Right? And then two, I think what Paul is trying to tell us here is if that's true, that, that means you're, you're being anti-Christ. And if you're anti-Christ, then you don't have the spirit within you. And at that point, you might have another spirit in you if that's what we are seeking out daily. And so Paul is very serious about this, having peace personally, but also communally. But now let's get to the most controversial one, cosmically. If to be a peacemaker means, it means you cannot be a war maker... I want to suggest that also means you cannot be a war maker literally. Ooh. I'll just quote someone else. John Deere, what a great name, says, We cannot support war, participate in war, pay for war, promote war, or wage war. A peacemaker works to end war and create peace. From now on, every Christian is banned from warfare and sets to work making peace and creating a more peaceful world. Ooh. Weirdly enough, this Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And usually when we hear that, we think of how do we uh, care for the, the, the precious lives of, of, of children in wombs and say, yes. Let's be pro-life for children. But if that's true, then we should also be pro-life for all of life. And so to be a peacemaker means you cannot practice violence. To be a peacemaker means we have to be non-violent and be pro-life in all of life and value all of life. 
Like, what that means is that we cannot join the military. We cannot wage war. We cannot work in nuclear weapons or sell weapons. Nonviolence gives us a new boundary line for life of what it means to actually value life in all of its forms. It is, it is pretty radical, I get. Because at some point, some of you guys are going, hmm, and I'm with you. But is, it, but is this practical? Like, can you actually do this? Can, can Ukraine really practice nonviolence with Russia? Can, 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 can the, there be nonviolence in the Israel-Palestinian war? Is that even doable? And I would say, I don't know if it's practical. I don't know if it's doable. But I'll, I will say, I do know pastors and churches in Ukraine that I've, I've, I've spoken to people working with them, trying to help them practice this this week. And I've spoke to Christians in Palestine doing that this week, practicing nonviolence. So is it doable? I, this is where I want to say, I, I think the question for the Christian is not, does it work? The question for the Christian is, what is being asked of me in this situation? Whether it works or not. That, this is hard, right? How do I follow Jesus in this situation? And interestingly enough, up until the fourth century, this was the way Christians lived life. Up until the fourth century, like the Roman government was frustrated with Christians because they would not serve in the military. They would not take up arms. He's like, mm, is that really true? I don't know. Like, is this, is this really what this passage is telling us to do? I mean, you think about when Jesus, right before he gets betrayed, the, in fact, right as he's getting betrayed, you have, you have the, um, the Roman government coming to take Jesus, and Peter does what Peter does. He grabs his sword and swipes at the guard. And you assume he's going for the jugular. The guy probably turns, and he cuts his ear off, Right? And what does Jesus say in that moment? What does Jesus say in John here? Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus has the, the opportunity for the most holy war to happen right now. The most innocent person who's justified in fighting right now. He says, put your sword away. So let's, maybe we want to just believe his words. Let's believe his actions. And Jesus disarms Peter. And there's this great quote from one of the early church fathers, Tertullian. He says, in disarming Peter, Christ disarms all Christians. Whew. Do you struggle with this? Me too. Me too. Like, how do we do this? But let me just ask you this question. Is it possible, the reason we struggle with this is because we have just grown up in a world that is just so addicted to violence that the mere thought of nonviolence sounds preposterous. Like we can't even imagine a world outside of violence. And so we're like, no, that, that, that can't be right. And, and it's not just that I'm saying we, we're, we're growing up in this world. Factually, we grow up in this world that our country spends 10 times more than the top 10 countries 
combined on its military. Look at this graph. Look how much more we spend on our military than the rest of the world. You don't think that affects us and our view of war and our view of, of violence? So much. $877 billion. So that 54% of our tax dollars goes towards violence. I think that affects us. So we don't have enough to pay our teachers, but we can pay for the new armored tank. There's something wrong about this that I want us to think through. So I don't think we're peacemakers. I think we're war makers. And I think that's anti the logic of the gospel. Well, that's the scope of nonviolence. What's the scope of resistance? Uh, going back to the, our verse here, blessed are the peacemakers. I think many of us, when we hear that term, blessed are the peacemakers, we think, oh, good, this is my passage. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Maybe you're an Enneagram 9 like me, and you're like, yes, no war, no conflict. I'm all about that. I don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> this is my verse. It's encouraging me to just, to just be me. Um, you know, can't we all just get along? Like, just be nice. And so we hear this verse and we think, blessed are the nice. Um, like, mm, maybe, uh, maybe not. And so I would just suggest to you, if that's where you're hearing this, because I think when we think of this as saying like, let's, let's just not wage war. Okay, great. So let's just be passive. That's not what this is about as well. There's a positive aspect to being a peacemaker. Because if, if all we do is just not engage I would warn you that God has a, a woe for you in store. Woe to you who keep the status quo when the status quo is evil. Woe to you who say everything's fine when nothing is fine. Ezekiel 13.10 says, Because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace, and because a went." When a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. God is trying to say, like, just saying everything's fine doesn't make it fine. Just saying we're good doesn't make us good. You, there actually has to be a holy resistance to push into make, to making us good. I mean, this is the rallying cry of the civil rights movement that said, no justice, no peace. That if you do not actually have justice, we don't have peace. But if you know justice intimately, then you can actually have peace. You see like the, 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 the action that's required to, uh, to, to get peace? It makes me think of uh, a famous pastor, theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian uh, who, who spoke out against uh, Hitler during the rise of Nazism. I mean, think of the courage it takes to do that. Who, who, who knows what it means. And he, said, he has this great quote. He says, There is no way to peace along the way of safety. For peace must be dared. Mm. It's the great venture. It can never be made safe. Peace is the opposite of security. And so I want us to see that Making peace is not just this lovey-dovey, be nice to one another call for us as Christians. It is, if you want peace, you actually have to fight for it. 
You actually have to fight for it, but not with the world's weapons. Like, in the, sadly, in the end, Bonhoeffer actually participates in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. I, as a pastor, have not been a part of anything like that. <laughs> not saying I'm opposed. No. <laughs> like, I think everyone hears that, and they're like, yes! Someone who took peace seriously that he would even assassinate Hitler. He did take part in it. However, I don't think Bonhoeffer ever justified his actions. Bonhoeffer never claimed that those actions were justified. He always believed that taking a human life, even Hitler's life, was wrong. Can we believe that? And I want to say, let's work backwards. If, if Bonhoeffer could not justify killing a genocidal dictator, can we get along with the people that we have beef with? Like, can we actually dare peace with them? You're probably thinking of someone. You're like, can I really have peace with them? And I was just say, this is what daring peace is. This is what peacemaking is. Bonhoeffer has this, he's famous for having this quote about cheap grace and how, how destructive cheap grace is. But I would suggest to you there's another thing that we have to worry about. It's cheap peace. It's, it's, you know, cheap peace is, it, cheap peace is bought with cheap forgiveness, where you say, hey, tell them you're sorry, sorry, tell them you're sorry, sorry, and no one's actually really internalizing what's actually happening there. Like, you, there's no reconciliation happening when you have that type of cheap forgiveness. So there's a cheap peace, and I would say that, that, that is not true. That is not true peace. How can how can peace actually come about when one side doesn't even acknowledge the harm that they're doing to the other side? You have to actually acknowledge the harm for there to be true peace. You can offer forgiveness 100% always, but reconciliation and peace, that is a hard work. It is a costly treasure. And I would say costly because this is what this is. This, is, this nonviolent resistance is, is to resist the natural tendencies of our heart to just blow up a relationship or just to retreat from it 100%. And the call to be a peacemaker is to not blow it up, not to retreat, but to step right into it. It's not a call to, to, to ignore the differences you may have or to just suppress the differences. It's a call to be committed to the other in spite of the differences. Like, this is true love. This is true peacemaking. Like, maybe, you have, maybe, it's, maybe it's a husband and a wife who just can't get along. Can you dare peace then? Maybe it's a parent and a child who feel like we have nothing in common. How do we have peace? Can we step into that and lean into that? Maybe it's the person who's deeply hurt you. Would you dare peace? Then, this is the call of the Christian to be a peacemaker. It's not a call to be a doormat. Let's not confuse that. Nonviolent resistance is not a call to be a doormat. It's a call to resist and to win the enemy with love. It makes me think of, of, of what Martin Luther King Jr. 
invited all of those who had marched with him in 1963. He had them sign this pledge of nonviolence. And it's like these Ten Commandments that I've given you some up here. I'm only going to read through a few of them up here. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, As you prepare to march, meditate on the life and teachings of Jesus. What a great way to start. Let's see what Jesus would do. Number two, remember the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. We could just stop there. Can you imagine to say we're not seeking victory? We're seeking justice and reconciliation. I think when we hear stuff like this, we're like, I just want to, I want my enemies to feel what I felt. We want victory. We want justice and reconciliation is what we actually want. A few more here just because it's so beautiful. Walk and talk in the manner of love for God is love. Oh, man, how do you love people that hate you like that? Pray daily to be used by God that all men and women might be free. Ah, do you hear the love he has for people? Sacrifice personal wishes that all might be free. I mean, peacemaking and nonviolent resistance is going to ask a lot of you. It is going to ask so much of you. But this is where I want to encourage you and say there is a power behind this peacemaking. And so we come to our last point here, the power of peacemaking. It's a power to fuel you and to fight for you. And it comes in that verse here, our beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers in 5.9, for they will be called children of God. Children of God. Why are they going to be called children of God? Because they are now known for what their father is doing. They are doing what their father is doing. Stepping into the mess, staring down tanks, bringing true grace and forgiveness and hope and peace amidst warring peoples. That's why you will be called children of God because you're acting like your father. You're acting like your mother. You're you're a child of the king. I'm reminded of Colossians 2.13. This is such a great passage. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed that record to the cross. And then verse 15, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you see the power that you have coursing through your veins? That you are a child of God. That same power is now in you. Just like a child inherits their parents' characteristics. You, oh, you look like your mother. You look like your father. Or you pick up on those characteristics. You have that power coursing through your veins to disarm your enemies. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I like the talk back. This is a superpower that every single one of us has to totally disarm our enemies. Christ is known as the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace declares war on all violence when he goes to the cross and drains the world of all its violence by sucking it all into himself and giving us true grace and true peace and true forgiveness and true love. And I want to remind you that if you fight with the enemy's weapons, when someone slaps you, when someone hurts you, and you want to fight back, When you fight with the enemy's weapons, you lose as well at that same moment. 
We become complicit in it, that we are now the enemies. However good it might feel, it's a surrender. Another pastor, Reverend Robert Rimbo, says it this way, the only way to conquer evil is to absorb it, to neutralize its acids, serves as a face mask for its smog, put a straitjacket on it and turn it over to God. There is nothing sentimental or the least bit easy about this. There's not even a guarantee that it will work. But one thing is for sure, when we repay evil for evil, evil is all there is in bigger and more toxic piles. The only way for us to reverse this trend of violence begetting more and more violence is for us to just upend and surprise the world and do the most unexpected thing imaginable. When someone throws violence at us, we throw love right back to them. That's what stares down tanks. That's what, that's what fueled Jesus as he goes to the cross. Love for the other. Love for those nailing him to the cross. That's what happens when we, we break the vicious cycle of violence, when we refuse to play the game. Because that's what Christ did when Christ went to the cross. He, filled, he took all the violence of the world and he filters it out in his body. And he filters it out, repaying evil with good, death for life. And if it worked once, it can work again if we actually have people willing to try it. And so Mosaic, I ask you, are you crazy enough to being willing to try nonviolent resistance? It sounds wild. It sounds absurd. But are you crazy enough to try it? It worked once. It can work again. But before you, before you do, let me remind you that this is not just a, a persona, personality trait of someone who's just nice. This is, this is a supernatural thing we are calling you to. And the only way you can do this, the only way you can be a peacemaker is by the power of the Spirit and in community. And if you lose one, or, one of those things, we will fail. The hatred of the world will suffocate you, and you'll, you'll, give it, you'll give up. You have to do it by the power of the Spirit to fuel you, and you have to do it with an army of people behind you. Because if, Just because it takes an army for violence to conquer other nations, it's going to take an army of nonviolent resistors to come together, to bind together, to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to, to say you're being an idiot in love, uh, <laughs> to push you back to Jesus. And so let me ask you, where do you need to end war? Is it personal? Do you, do you, do you still have something you and God need to talk to, talk about? Is it communal? Is it with someone else? Or is it in your view of how we, we operate in this world? Let me encourage you to be crazy enough to try nonviolent resistance. And we can do it together as a church by the power of the Spirit. Let me pray for us.